Welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We're your host, Atlas Alex, and it feels like forever since we've done one of these. Um, it's only been two weeks, but in those uh, in those two weeks, we were working on uh, completing the audiobook, the recording of the uh, the book for Audible, and so. Every single day for the past two weeks, we've been getting up at roughly sometimes between sometime between 3 and 5 a.m., but sometimes as early as 2 a.m. We were getting up to do our recording early in the morning before the house got noisy. And uh, we did, we averaged about four hours and 60 pages a day. And we managed to... Uh, we managed to get the entire book in the can to use uh, industry lingo. That's what they uh, that's what they say when something has been recorded. It's in the can. Going back to the days when we had film and magnetic tape that we carried around in big cans, can big canisters. So uh, suffice it to say, <clears throat> as we said we were we were we had to nurse our throat because we weren't we simply weren't uh we weren't used to it we're not we're we are not accustomed to doing four hours of voice work a day by the end of it we you know we caught up we got back up to speed and our voice was not um getting nearly as strained as it was at the outset um and certainly we were far more accustomed to this 25 years ago when we were actually more than a little bit more than that about 30 years ago when we were working in uh, um, radio in Toronto and we were doing some voice work and so on. We were far more accustomed our the uh, the throat and the vocal cords are just like any other muscle. They they I suppose you could say they atrophy without use. So. So it was quite the uh, uh, quite the challenge and quite the uh, job to get it all done um, without without overstraining our voice and losing our voice. And uh, so we appreciate your patience for us having canceled last week, but it really was a case where we literally didn't say anything to anybody practically all day and we were walking around with a handkerchief tied around our our neck trying to keep everything warm and 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 shielded from the wind and and uh, we were drinking 
what, four, uh, good four, four to six cups of uh, this echinacea throat coat herbal tea. This is our uh, tr traditional medicinals make it. And it is our, for us anyway, it is a, it is our go-to medication for sore throats and whatnot in the wintertime. But also it came in tremendous use. Uh, we made it with, uh, with honey and lemon. And we had about, again, about anywhere from uh, four to six cups uh, a day. We would have literally half a liter uh, right after breakfast because we would do all of our recording in the morning. Then we'd, we'd eat breakfast and then we'd, we'd, we'd slowly sip this, uh, this herbal tea to just soothe, coat and soothe, soothe the throat and uh, try to heal up any rawness that we, uh, that we were uh, suffering from. Now, why are we dwelling on this? Why would we start today's live stream dwelling on this? Because this was something unexpected. And this was something which arose. The Not the fact that we needed to do an audiobook. That, well, that too was never in the plans. When we set out to write this book, we never uh, put any thought whatsoever into an audiobook version of it. It was only until we got to the point where we had surpassed 400 pages. And when we were telling others, when others were asking about the book, and we would say, well, you know, it's we're, we're up to 400-something pages, or it's probably going to be four, four, 450 pages or whatever. And they said, immediately, immediately, the response was, oh, is there going to be an audiobook? And my response was, well, I wasn't planning on one. And they were like, because, you know, 450 pages, that's a big ask these days. Very few people are willing to sit down and read a 400, you know, 400 plus page book, but they will listen to one. And it was on that basis that, that we said, that's a, that's probably a good point. And, um, and even though it's probably not ideal for individuals to try to absorb the information that we're sharing, um, in that format because suffice it to say we have lots of references to films uh you know youtube videos um external links we have lots of images and uh, infographics and that type of thing uh, still we've taken the time to create a section on the uh, website where all of the uh the resources for the book um, will be available. So that that was another thing that we hadn't necessarily planned on. Um, so we've we have a section here. So you know you 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 go down here if you're new, right? To to read about the uh, what's in the book and everything else. But if you 
have purchased the book, you can click on resources and scroll all the way down to the bottom. And here we have a section for figures, right? And we have all the, all the figures in the book, right? All listed, right? And you can, you, you can make them, you can make them bigger and you can scroll one at a time. So this is for, for those uh, individuals who either they have the ebook version or the audiobook version and and they want to be able to actually see what it is we've been talking about but we also have uh, the videos um the videos that we link to and they're all here they we put them in a playlist on youtube and so um the reader can come here and and actually see the uh the videos as well that uh, that are linked in the book and everything's linked with qr codes including the links because we have links as well. And, you know, things like, for example, um, our article, Oh Divine Mother, right? So that's a link. Um, and, uh, you know, we have articles by Glorianne referenced, right? So all of these links are in the book as QR codes, but to someone who's listening on the audiobook and we reference a link, they're not going to if they're driving or in the gym listening on their iP on their uh, uh, phone they're not going to stop what they're doing to try to jot down a URL right so we forego saying anything any URLs or anything out in the audiobook and we just say this is link number this or video number that and we and uh, at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book we make it clear that go to the book's website and you get access to the resources and also the appendix which we haven't we haven't uh, completed yet on the website, but it'll be on the website as well. Again, why would we dwell on this? Well, we're sharing all this with you because, uh, let's just scroll down here and get, get to a page that isn't uh, moving. Um, we're sharing this all, with all of you because it relates directly to today's topic, which we uh, entitled uh, today's talk, Progress makes perfect. <clears throat> and we're playing on the expression practice makes perfect. And how there is an element to the repetition, the ongoing repetition. Well, we, well practice. I mean, what is it? It's, it is what it is, right? You keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And with each revolution you might say right each round each round of you doing something there is a slight improvement there's a slight learning there is a slight whatever or alteration you 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 suddenly see something that you didn't see before and so that's why we say practice makes perfect because it's in the experience of practice that you develop and you also perhaps begin to lose bad habits for example that are hindering your progress so development is not just a situation of constantly building on top of what you already have uh, development is just as much about stripping away that which is getting in the way and it is the second it is the second aspect of development 
that we want to focus on today when we talk about progress makes makes perfect and real progress on the alm of life because serendipitously we already began accumulating uh, resources for not necessarily our next book proper because according to our website our next book is going to be uh, about fear and we can show you that here's uh according to our website this is this is our uh our next book and of course if you're familiar with the blog article then you will know that this book is going to be based on that that blog article and so this is not going to be a 400 page book but it doesn't need to be and we don't want it to be we want it to be very tight and punchy And it may be that this is the next book, or it could also be that the other book that is in formation, that is in progress, maybe this is going to end up being our next book. Because what we're going to share with you today, and what we're going to be talking about today, essentially is going is is more related to this to the alm of life and to the path and to progress and because of that uh it may be that we're essentially already working on our next book we had uh the the ever so fleeting momentary inkling about perhaps we should include it in this book in part three what we're about what we're going to talk about today what we're going to share with you but then we realized well, we're recording the audiobook <laughs> we're we're working with the final draft <laughs> um this is not the time to be introducing new sections you know, to the to, to the final chapters, and and new new video references and every, you know so so it's uh, everything that we're getting at that we're sort of throwing at the wall right now has to do with this question of planning and planning things out and what we plan on and we are not immune to this because we're we're human and and you know we we have to be practical we're here in the world we have to be practical on some level and the mind wants things ordered and structured and it and it thinks in a linear sort of way so it wants that linear progression okay so we got this thing done well what's next what do we do next? What do we do the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that? That's why uh, this background that we chose for today is 
exactly what it looks like. Someone planning their trip. Oh, they got their coffee, you know, they got their passport ready, they got the map laid out, they've got the computer there. They're ready to plan out their trip. And the reality is, is that none of us can do that on the path. Uh, if you if you don't know this already for yourself, from your own experience, then you'll just have to take our word for it and pay closer attention to your life and recognize that the path, the spiritual path, the path of awakening and self-realization flies in the face of the so-called best laid plans. And that very often what you think is going to happen or why you think you are doing something at any given point in time and you think you have everything clearly laid out and mapped out in front of you, how things are going to unfold. Uh, just be prepared to, to for life to surprise you and to have all of your preconceived notions and all of your plans just literally go out the window. We have to be ready for that. We have to be prepared for that. And to recognize that being is not planning. You don't plan to be. Being is not planning. And we have in the past talked about the flow state and being in the flow. And you know the expression going with the flow. Everybody knows that expression. And to one degree or another, everybody knows how to do it. Everybody's done it. At one time or another in their life or on and off on a regular basis in their own life. There's the aspects of your life. You get up, you go through your morning routine, you know, you, you, you eat, you shower, you get dressed, you go off to work, you're at work, you do your work and you got to do your work according to the plan or the plan either you made or your superiors have made for you. And you go through the motions and you come home and everything else. So yeah, there's these regimented planned out aspects of our lives. And then there's the rest of our lives, which is a wide open field of possibility where we are a blank canvas, an empty slate, as it were. And it is in that space, that field of possibility, that life can happen to us. And the alm of life can unfold. Within us, and about us, right? And it and it unfolds, it reveals itself. And the revelation of the alm of life is entirely cyclic in nature in nature. It is revolutionary. And when we say revolutionary, we mean that in the fullest, most comprehensive, pregnant comprehension 
of all of the meanings of that word. First and foremost, practically speaking, it means to revolve. And it is in the revolutions of the alm of life that a revolution can take place. A revolution of consciousness. A revolution in our lives. A revolution of a revolution against all that hinders us and prevents us and blocks us from what? From having the revelation of our being, of our true self. The revelation which comes with awakening. We only begin to touch on, on uh, the alm of life in the, uh, in the upcoming book. And so we know we have to write this book. And we already have, you know, chapters or at least one chapter of this book written on the computer already. And it was just serendipitous. We're working on the audiobook and we're recording the text and everything else. And in just in the process of the last two weeks, we came across a video that has become for us, and we want to share that and we want to share it with you, perhaps the most perfect metaphor that we have yet found that embodies the title and essence of the book that's on the screen right now, the next book we're going to be working on. Is it the next one we're going to publish? Very unlikely, simply because this may, this may end up being another 300 or 400 page book. Because in this book, we're going to be discussing the alm of life in its comprehensive nature. And that is going to entail discussing how the universe unfolds according to the analogous ultimate methodology. This is not going to be a small, easy read, right? However, this one might not be an easy read, but it should be a quick read, a short read. This might be 100 pages, 150 pages, like a very, you know, very, very thin little thing because we're focused. It's very, we're very focused here and concentrated. And we're also focused on something which uh, the world is in desperate need of, the comprehended sphere. So this is the only reason why we put this one as, you know, coming next. And let's face it. The bulk of this book is already written. Most of the chapters already exist in some crude form in the uh, in the blog article. Uh, Face your fears, many faces, which is a very long article. It's it's not really a blog article. It it, it always was a book. Right? It was a book in process, but most of what's on the blog. Uh, has found its way into the book that we're about to publish. 
really for us, our blog was never really a blog. It always was what it was, which was just things that we had to get down on paper, so to speak. And we felt, well, why would we just keep it to ourselves? Why not just share it with the world? And now the, all of that over the last 10 years has come together and synthesized. And we brought together and honed it and polished it. And, and, that, and it has become the book that we are about to publish. And what's interesting is we never at any point in time when we were writing those blog articles, it never occurred to us. It never once entered my mind that this is going to be a book someday. Never. And when we sat down to begin writing this book, it never occurred to us that we would be drawing on the blog article for content for the book. It just so happens that as we were writing, we were, we were like, this sounds really familiar. It's almost as if we've written this before. And then we went back and looked at the blog. And sure enough, th this book is not, not just a compilation of the last 10 years of our work as Atlas, but the previous 50 years of our life. None of which was planned by me. I didn't plan on my life to unfold the way it did. I mean, how, how, how does it, you know, everything that I thought was going to happen in my life didn't happen that way. And we explain this all in the first part of the book. The whole first part of the book explains exactly share. We, you know, we share exactly what my thought process was as a child, as a teenager, as a university student, as a young adult trying to make it in the world and trying to arrive at this place that deep down was this with this calling and at each time following that calling and all of the plans which the mind placed around the intuitive pull what was nudging us what was pulling us forward that was leading to the real progress and then all of these plans that our rational mind the ego mind was weaving around that into that intuition and and imagining fantasizing or assuming fabricating beliefs and all sorts of um uh, stuff around what was whispering to us through the still soft voice of being because the ego mind the rational mind can't just be it can't just be it is incapable of being the ego mind always needs to be doing and one of the things that it loves doing is planning. It's thinking about the future. Or you're thinking about the past. The ego mind can't be in the present moment. It's impossible. 
It's impossible because the ego mind can only assess and compare. So in the moment, as soon as something happens and you're thinking about it, it's already gone. It's already in the past. By the time, because the ego mind, the rational mind is so slow. We're just talking about metaphysical science here. It's just so slow. It can't actually be present in the moment. Only consciousness can be present in the moment. So, and it, and as much as it, it doesn't really want to be in the moment anyway, to, to be quite honest, because the rational mind wants us, us hypnotized by it. it doesn't want us to be awake and present. It want, uh, it wants us hypnotized. So it wants us in the caught in the future or caught in the past and planning is one of those very very powerful hypnotic mesmerizing rationalizations that the mind possesses us with because how can you go on a trip without planning you have to plan ahead, right? You have to be practical. You have to know where you're going to be, where you're going to be staying, how you're going to get there, how you're going to get, once you're there, how are you going to get from A to B? And you have to book your tickets. You got to book your opera seats. You got to book that extra clues or, uh, uh, cruise or you, you book that extra flight or you book the tour and you have to do it ahead of time. Sometimes you have to do six months ahead of time. Who knows? Maybe you're going to a place that sells out like that. And you have to do it in advance, right? There are there are very compelling, practical, real-world reasons why we need to plan stuff. But rest assured <laughs> that that which we plan for is minuscule compared to that... Uh, which which happens to us, which we, we could never have prepared for. And it is the stuff that unfolds and happens to us, which we weren't prepared for, which is which is why we're really here. <laughs> Not the stuff that 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 we plan for and goes tick-tock, you know, like clockwork according to plan. Speaking of planning and not planning, uh, let's let's take a pause and uh, get some comments here. Oh, we only have two. Okay, so Kathy said hello, and Azazel says, or my favorite, where do you see yourself five years from now? <laughs> People love asking these kinds of questions. Where do you see yourself five years from now? And And very often, they ask it in a very condescending and patriarch um, patronizing sort of way or at least in our experience when when they ask that question it's because they're not they don't really they don't really want 
an honest answer from us. What they're trying to do is get us to see their point of view, which is they can't possibly see how our present way of living is going to produce anything of any value of, or of any note or of any comfort or security from a from their perspective so when they ask the question where do you see yourself five years from now it's they're asking that question from the point of view of because you know where exactly do you see yourself five years from now because i see you on the street as a bum homeless and penniless you know that type of thing they don't really they don't really want to know you know where you see yourself and of course if we're honest with ourselves we can't give them an answer anyway we say well i don't know which 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 gets you nowhere with them anyway And as Azil follows up and he says, no, because the honest answer would be that the uh, that the question is retarded. <laughs> uh, speaking of planning and uh, going with the flow and forgetting things and not doing things, here's the, uh, the link if anybody wants to uh, jump on today. It's also in the chat. Benjamin says, there is a saying, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. Yeah, well, look, there's all sorts of uh, expressions that exist that are so-called words of wisdom, which come from a worldly point of view. Because if a military, uh, a military leader the you know the general of armies whatever doesn't prepare doesn't plan for battle for for a war he is planning to fail there are lots of worldly things which require uh precognizance and and planning and uh strategizing and preparing for those are those are mechanical phenomena which require uh, mechanical preparation and planning so pra very practical right you are you have invited your family over to thanksgiving this again is apropos to our circumstance because this past weekend, we had family come from the States. And it was Thanksgiving in the United States. And so we had our third Thanksgiving celebration. Because earlier in October, we had Canadian Thanksgiving twice. Uh, that's a long story why we had two Thanksgivings. But regardless, there's two different families and extended families and everything else. Plus there was a birthday and everything else. So we had, we had lots and lots and lots of um, food and lots of um, entertaining. But now because 
our family who's down in the States couldn't get off uh, work and school and everything else. They had their obligations. So they couldn't come up here and celebrate Thanksgiving with us for Canadian Thanksgiving. They could only travel on American Thanksgiving when they had their holiday. So now they came up here. And so we had to have a third Thanksgiving. Well, one cannot invite one's family over for Thanksgiving dinner without planning and preparation, especially if that family is coming from uh, Connecticut. That's an eight-hour drive. And and speaking of planning, uh, that horrific explosion which took place on the border, uh, they were behind that explosion. They didn't see it, but they were they were caught at the border in the long lineup. Uh, the 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 borders were closed. So talk about events and circumstances that you cannot plan for. Nobody can plan for the border being shut down because of a freak accident. Well, we. Of course, we speculate it was an accident. No, they, they, they don't know for sure. They're investigating it as an accident. But, uh, but who knows? Regardless, from our perspective, from our side, uh, we were not only having our family from the States, we're having uh, other members of our extended family coming. So... You know, we had to order. We had to order a goose from the Mennonites. You can't just go up. You, you know, the Mennonites. They have their farm. They have their animals and everything. But you can't just go there. It's not like a convenience store. It's not like a grocery store. You don't just show up. And, and pick up a goose. Right? It, you have to order it months in advance because that goose has to go through the procedures that it has to go through in order for it to be sold legally in Canada, right? For the health and safety and everything else, it has to be slaughtered and processed um, by an accredited uh, butcher or and or slaughterhouse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of bureaucracy involved in that. There's lots of machinations again. Okay, the big machine is at work. So we have to work within the confines of these practical worldly phenomena. And so you have to plan. You have to go grocery shopping. You have to get your other ingredients and you have to get everything prepared. You have to make sure that we are inviting 12 people over. So we have to have, make sure that we have enough chairs to go around. So that everybody has a place to seat, um, uh, to be seated at the table, and then <clears throat> who's coming? Who's uh, uh, gluten intolerant, and who's lactose intolerant? And so Tunde uh, had to, uh, or decided that she was going to make a cake that was both gluten free and lactose free. Well, that's something you have to plan for, right? You can't make a cake. And then have people show up and say, oh, but I'm gluten intolerant, I'm lactose intolerant. You cannot alter the cake that you've already baked. You have to plan for that. You have to be prepared. You have to accommodate them ahead of time. So 
it's not that <clears throat> it's not that planning in general goes out the door or goes out the window and that we say you should never plan anything we're not saying that at all it's just recognizing that there are some things that you can and should and must plan for and there are other things that you cannot plan for as azazel states here is his planning is one thing a foresight is another and there's that's a there's a subtle difference there between planning and foresight foresight is having the intuition or the foresight is having insight into that which will happen planning is just what preparing for what you again plan to happen you just you're 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 mapping out how you think things are going to go or how you think they should go or how you want them to go or how you think you can best accommodate within the time frame that you have again in the in the context of a trip a vacation etc But foresight, planning and uh, uh, foresight, thinking you know how things are going to go or having insight into how things are going to unfold. One of the reasons why this is such a for the most part almost an impossibility or it's it's kept from us. We are kept in the dark on purpose. It's precisely because the element of facing the unknown, the novel, the unexpected, how we respond to what emerges and and it really is a question of emergent reality our future the being that was obscured before but how circumstances unfold and they unfold in a revolution right it is this revolution of aum like the spiral staircase We want to uh, let's let's knock off uh, a few more uh, comments here, and then we'll we'll get to 
that thing that we want to show you. Okay, Benjamin, we if you fail to plan, you you are planning to fail. Uh, Kage Musha gives us a wave. We hello, nice to nice to have you here. Nice to see you. And we have our links. And okay, so that's that's all we had to do for um, for comments. Okay, there's something. We said that there was a a metaphor which we're just going to get this going. Uh, this fellow is uh, a woodturner. Uh, his, his, uh, his name was just on the screen a moment ago. Andy Philip, and uh, this was a video of his uh, wood turning. If you've never seen any of these uh, videos before. They can be quite, um, quite fascinating. Now, what he happens to have there is a the roots of a yew tree, and we're just going to have we're going to put just put this on in the background. Frankly, um, the yew tree. That word, yeu, is a profoundly sacred word. In fact, here is what um, Master Samael has to say about it. I'll just pause this for just one second. Okay, he says, yeu, the profoundly sacred name, is related with the light is related with light and clairvoyance. Sorry, we got distracted here. Let's make that bigger. So, Yeu, the profoundly sacred name, is related with light and clairvoyance. It is written that Jesus, the great Kabir, chanted a song of praise in the great name. It is written that he pronounced the profoundly sacred name Yeu and blew in their eyes, saying, Ye are now clairvoyant. Unquestionably, Yeu is a mantric word or magic key related to clairvoyance. And this quote comes from the Gnostic Bible, the, the Pista Sophia unveiled. So, we'll begin by comprehending that this artist, this artisan, this craftsperson is going to turn uh, the roots of a yew tree. And, you know, as you can see at the beginning, it, it's, it doesn't look like much. It's just, you know, he, he saws off, he gets it into some kind of a general form, shape. Benjamin says here, foresight and planning are two important aspects that complement each other. The story in the scripture where the Pharaoh had a dream about seven fat cows and seven lean cows is a perfect example of this. The dream foreshadowed Egypt's luck in the next 14 years. Joseph interpreted the dream correctly and then planned accordingly. This saved the people from a famine.
So in that aspect, in that respect, if you are given foresight into the future, when we are given such a boon, it is only natural that we there is something that we need to do now in order to prepare for that future circumstance. That is why we were given that foresight. But there's going to be very there's going to be many, many turnings between now and that event. And so it's just only natural that in the process of being, as long as we are being, we just, if we are preparing now for that thing that's going to eventually emerge, we simply need to do what we need to do in the moment. And that knowing comes from being. Because in truth, we might have some vague idea But in the moment, we cannot do what needs to be done in the last stage. We can only do what needs what what can be done now at the stage that we are at. And that is because the latter stages are are obscured, they're buried. Much like the shape that is emerging from this wood turner was buried inside that root that yeu that pattern that is now emerging what you see here no one could have predicted no one could have known all we had was this general notion this this intuition this impulse to say this root, something good is going to come of it. Some kind of a vase or some kind of a vessel of some kind is going to come from it. But we, we have that vague intuition and we know that there are certain things that we can do at each stage along its preparation. But that preparation often is a stripping away of the excess and allowing what is, what is in there, the potential of what is in there, to emerge. And what emerges and what we see in the fullness of light and becomes clear to us. and realized comes through the actual turning, the revolutions of Aum. The final revelation only becomes possible because of the revolutions of Aum, and those revolutions are a stripping away of the excess. With each and every revolution, we take the chisel of consciousness To recognize the obscurations, that which is preventing us from seeing the ultimate form of the vessel that we have the potential to be 
that we have the potential to create, that vessel has to be realized. Even if you have the foresight, even if you have the intuition or the clairvoyance of knowing, ah, there is a Yehu vessel here hidden within these roots of this Yehu tree. It is only through the revolutions of the Alm of Life that the revelation of that vessel, the realization of that vessel can become a reality. And that revolution, the, re the, the reason why it's a revolution, because all revolutions are disruptive. All revolutions dismantle, they take away the old and replace it with the new. And hopefully you're beginning to see why this metaphor or uh, this allegory of the wood turning of a Yehu root is so perfect when we're talking about the alm of life and when we're talking about planning versus being and going with the flow. Because as this vessel emerges, this woodworker, this artisan, this craftsperson, he's, he's, he has to alter his approach, what he's doing and how he's doing it. All he knew is that there's a vessel in here. But with each revolution and the honing and the, 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 that vessel is achieving its perfection, little by little. And there's a reason why, you know, in woodworking, they call it whittling away, because you, you whittle a little. Whittle and little, they're almost the same word. And when finally the, the, the shape here seems to uh, be, seems to have presented itself, well, then now it's, there's, there's a finishing phase, right? There's a polishing, there's a, there's a you know, you might call it like a, a, an illumination or a glorification phase. Where now you put the shine on the vessel. So that vessel reflects the light and captures the light and begins to glow. And, and all of the detail and all of the finery. And that vessel can now express and exude, exude its perfection. That perfection of being was always in there, was always in the root. But without the revolution of Aum, and without the little by little, the whittling away of the excess, that perfection cannot be expressed, that, that cannot be realized. The revelation of the perfection eludes us. So there are different levels of planning. There are different levels of 
preparation. And what we want to make sure is that we follow as best as we can the guidance of our innermost in the creation of our progress, doing what is necessary and planning what is necessary but not overextending ourselves, over over planning. Like the like the map here behind us, for example. There is a balance. <clears throat> and as we go through life and as we discover, well, we have to be present and aware and see the unfolding of the path in front of us. And we witness the serendipities and we witness the little miracles and we witness how something happens and we realize, well, I was, I was, something had prepared me for this years ago or months ago or days ago. Some strange thing out of the blue happened, which prepared me for this very moment. Our experience of writing this book was, was that kind of an experience where all of this heartache and suffering and, um, obstacles and and all of this stuff that we went through in our younger life all the experience that we learned going through all that all of it um came to came into focus and had a bearing on the book that we're about to publish and frankly, it was, it was only in the reading of it out loud that the magnitude of the preparation that we had undergone uh, struck us. It's interesting that we've talked about we've talked in the past about the uh, the spiritual power of sound. We've done live streams on it, and Master Samuel wrote a book of the same title. And we talk about doing mantra and singing and music and the power of sound. There really was something uh, powerful about reading our book aloud 
And again, it was something that we hadn't planned on doing. It also made it challenging because we didn't write the book to be read out loud, which made some of the voiceover and some of the sections very challenging because when something isn't written to be read out loud, <laughs> trying to read it out loud can be a bit of a challenge. But it is impossible to have a destiny without it being planned in advance. So how does that square? How does that square with what we just said moments earlier about planning versus being, right? Like we just said, our, our entire life since childhood was clearly planned. It was planned in advance. It was all planned that we go through that and we live through all that in order for us to be able to have the experiential knowledge required to be able to write the book that we just wrote and to be able to speak knowledgeably about certain aspects of the great awakening of humanity and for us to be able to say to the reader hey listen this isn't some theory this isn't some intellectual academic paper based on i don't know xyz studies from who knows how many psychologists over in statistical analysis and blah 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 this is not an intellectual book this is book this is a book of self-evident experiential knowledge, that which we seek in life. There's only one way to acquire it. There's only one way to acquire Gnosis, what we seek, self-evident experiential knowledge, and that is through experience. That experience could be in meditation. We, we can receive knowledge, we can receive information through meditation, but that's experiential knowledge. It's not, we, you, you don't get, we do not receive in, intellectual information from our innermost. We don't receive theories, we don't receive beliefs, we don't, we have experiences. We can have experiences in dreams, in lucid dreams. In other words, astral projection. Or we can have experiences in our wakeful lives, our life experiences. And it is from those experiences that we can extract knowledge, also known as wisdom. Because wisdom is definitely related to experience. Of our uh, wood turning, Yau root, Benjamin says, that's beautiful. Um, it's amazing. Beauty is just waiting to unfold. Let's get to, uh, where is it? There, here. Uh, hang on a second. 
I'm mesmerized by it. I'm I'm here watching it and then and then realizing you guys can't see it. There. There we go. There. Oops. This uh, allegory or metaphor, it's really an allegory. This wood turning is. It's something that we didn't plan on, right? We couldn't have planned on it. It just emerged. It just showed up. But it's perfect. There's there's perfection in it because it really is capturing the essence of the alm of life. And the um, and the and the 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 process of just as we were saying earlier about practice. It's practice is all about repetition. It's all about you know repeating the same thing over and over again until you get it right. And each time you repeat it, <clears throat> it becomes a little better, a little a little smoother, a little a little less rough around the edges. It's like polishing a diamond, right? There's there's a, a, a honing process. And the thing about honing, honing your skills, right? It's you're becoming sharper. And whether we're talking about sharpening or honing, all of these processes are uh, are about stripping away. It's like sanding down a rough surface to make it smooth. It's you're you're getting a, you're getting rid of all of the anomalies which make that surface rough or make that edge dull or make that diamond sparkle less it needs to be polished it needs to be honed it needs to be sharpened it needs to be sanded down and smoothed out As Azel says, one is sometimes tempted to ask oneself what divinity is brewing. I'm pretty sure it ain't mead. <laughs> There's a if we want to talk about expressions, one of the expressions that matters to us most is ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do or die. And that's because we don't have all the information. We don't have the big picture. How can we? For most of us, all we have, right, is, is this. This is what we have. This is what we see. Right? We have that, that raw root. You know, we go about doing what, you know, again, at first, the process is a very crude, like rough cuts. It's even, we say that in film, when you have the rough cut of a movie, that's when you, by and large, you've taken the shots that you want to use and you've cobbled them together in what's called a rough cut. So you roughly have the structure of the film based on the shots which you photographed 
and you've put them back to back and you know the order of the scenes and everything else and you have this rough cut. What you're looking at on screen, right? This is the rough cut. The sawing off the big chunks saying, okay, we don't need this this part. We don't need this, this footage here. We don't need that scene. This is superfluous. That's this. That's too slow, blah, blah, blah. And you, and you're, you, you, you cobble together the rough cut. And then from there, you get into the, the next level of editing, which is now tightening up the film and tightening up the, the pacing from shot to shot, from scene to scene. And you go over it again and again and again and again. And you're constantly going over the same scene, the same dialogue, the same, right? And, and every time you go over it, you catch something else or something else comes to you and we can do this, we can do that. All creative processes undergo this same fundamental paradigm, the same fundamental methodology. It's true for writing. It's true for painting. It's true for everything. For an authentic, genuine, real creative process. It is this, it is this, it is a process of progression. You progress from one step to another, to another, from one level to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And how do you make that progress? You make that progress by going around and around and around and around and around by revolutions. Right? Revolutions. And you begin the, and you go through the honing process. And each time you make a pass and you whittle away what is superfluous, what does not serve the final product, the finished vessel, the perfected vessel, that's very important as part of this particular allegory. Is that we're creating a vessel here. The perfection cannot express itself without the process of progress. Without this process of whittling away, the perfection will remain hidden within the crudeness. It'll be trapped in the roots. It doesn't matter that it's there. It could be there, you know, who cares? It's all these uh, new age uh, folk who are uh, obsessed with, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, we're all gods already. Really? This Yehu vessel, it was already done? Oh, well then this guy's completely wasting his time. It's so stupid to use Azazel's word that he used earlier, it's retarded. That anybody should have the hubris 
the mystic pride to look at themselves and say, my work is done. Why? Oh, because I have a perfect vessel in there somewhere. I'm a god already. Really? Well, why aren't you why aren't you expressing yourself? Why is that inner God not, why is the perfection of that God not self-evident? The answer is obvious. The answer is self-evident because you haven't done the work. You haven't whittled away the excess. You haven't freed that perfected vessel which is buried within the roots. And you, Yehu, it's you. It's you. It's you. It's me. It's everyone. And as you know, the uh, their clairvoyance afforded the apostles happened um, what they call the Pentecost. They they received the Pentecostal fire fire of the Holy Spirit. And Yahu, interestingly enough, Yahu is the wood that you make a bow from, as in archery, an, ar an archery bow. Yahu is the most flexible and pliable and it's incredibly strong but it has an incredibly an incredible tensile strength but it has the flexibility and the uh what's the word it's not coming to mind that gives it that ability to snap back to its original form shape like like rubber so elasticity it's technically elasticity but you wouldn't think of wood as being elastic so it's not obviously it's not as elastic as rubber but rubber doesn't have any strength it doesn't have any structural strength in that sense like you have to it, it all depends on the formulation of 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 how dense you make that rubber and what other compounds you put into it to give it some sort of uh strength for example the rubber in a tire but most tires are now synthetic rubber anyway. They're not natural rubber. So, Yehu, we actually have a, a Yehu bow, a Hungarian reflex bow. Uh, it's like a compound bow, and it has a horsehair string. And um, it is an incredible material. And there are whole lectures on glory and devoted to this topic and so we're not going to go too deep into it because that's not really the the point of today's discussion it just it just happened to be that we found this video or this video found us that uh that was making this vessel out of the roots of the yehu tree and the relationship between the bow and the arrow um, and the bow being made out of yehu 
relates to the sexual force. Because anyone who's ever obviously experienced the movement, the explosive nature of the sexual force, knows that it has that a certain quality to it, a certain yeah, explosiveness to it. In the same way that when you draw back a bowstring on a bow, right, that you you you're holding that bow under tension. And there is potential energy now stored up within the yeu, but it's potential energy. And if you release you release the bowstring, you release the arrow, that potential energy now becomes kinetic force and it launches the arrow through the air. There is a great deal of metaphysical knowledge to be gleaned from the relationship of that particular instrument of war or instrument of hunting or instrument of target practice. The bow is, from antiquity, along with the sword, two of the most ubiquitous and universal instruments of, of the warrior. And it is this relationship between the holding one's potentiality under tension and carefully targeting and releasing that energy in the right way to find its target. There is implications there. There is, there is, it's something worthwhile meditating on. There is a reason, for example, that it appears in Jofra's uh, work. Where can we show that to you? Uh, well, we can take a moment to try to find it on the computer, and then, and then, uh, well, we'll show it to you in a minute. As Azil says. Hang on a second. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a crossroad always appears. In other words, free will comes into practice. And he says, well, working for IKEA, we basically call it live material. You have you furniture at IKEA? You have live material at IKEA still? That's hard to believe. I thought it was. I thought it's been years since uh, IKEA has any real. Well, mind you, you're in Europe, so your IKEAs are different than the IKEA that we have here. Um, our IKEAs here. I, I haven't been to an IKEA in years, mind you. So things might have changed. But the last time I was there, everything was paper. Everything was like press board and paper. So it was like the quality really went down. I still have real wooden IKEA furniture made from real wood, but that's that's a that's a rarity. Um, 
So uh, you say that, yeah, not you. No, definitely not you. Not perhaps, definitely not you, uh, but would for sure. Um, yeah, I'm. I, the last time I went to Ikea in Canada, the reason why it was the last time is because I couldn't find a single stick of real wood in the place. Everything, everything was engineered. And it wasn't even wood. I swear to you, it was paper. It was just like compressed, uh, compressed paper. It was so light and flimsy and junky and crappy. It was so cheap. I said, "I'm I'm finished with IKEA. I'm I don't I not coming in here anymore," because there's there was nothing real in it. Everything was fake. But again, that's IKEA Canada. I imagine it's very different in Sweden where it's probably <laughs> they have a, an entirely different standard to uphold uh, in, uh, in their home country. But, uh, but here it went way downhill. Um, used to be you could get really nice stuff, really good quality stuff. And, um, and the reason that's the whole reason why I haven't been there in like 10 years, 15 years, because it just went so downhill. I said, well, I don't see it getting any better. Plus, I haven't had any need to buy furniture, so that's another reason, but uh, we said we wanted to show you something, and now why is that not letting me do that? Okay, so Zazel says, yeah, better than you described, but yeah, it's quite crappy, uh, which is where I come in. So you you're responsible for um, uh, ordering nicer stuff for IKEA. Is that we're trying to say? It's like, well, that's where I come in. Uh, what is it you do it for IKEA? That uh... okay? We're trying to find an image. That uh, Jofra Bosch chart, one of his famous multi-panel uh, paintings. That we'll put this. Um, uh, put a punctuation point on this whole uh, topic of Yehu. It's just we have so many images that we've used throughout the years and so we have this folder that is chock-a-block and it's not the easiest thing in the world to find anymore but here's a good example of you know having to accommodate something that we hadn't planned on or we hadn't planned for And as Azul says, nah, people call me because something is damaged badly. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> okay, I misunderstood where you were coming from there. Okay. Let's see if you guys can see this. Can we zoom in? Okay. So. This is um, 
Jafra Bosch charts, one of his most famous uh, multi-panel paintings. And as you can see, he was a he was a brilliant esotericist. His knowledge of esotericism, the nature of the human being and the supernal worlds was was self-evident when you look at all of the details that are contained in in this uh, image in particular, right down to the White Lodge and the Black Lodge, right? Right down to, you know, the the Kundalini coiled three and a half times, represented here as the dragon down at the bottom. But what we want to focus on, right? As you have the also the serpent rising, you have the Divine Mother, of course, and she has her the, the grail holding the grail. And you have the, so the negative, you, you have the dragon, but so the dragon represents the negative aspect of the Kundalini, or like the Kunda buffer organ. So, so the, 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 the energy is, is du the duality of sexual energy. And then you have the divine mother in the sexual organs. And there's the, the lingam or the, uh, the yoni of the, uh, the, the grail, the womb. And then growing out of the roots here, we have a vine, and then we have the cobra. So Ida and Pingala uh, intertwined. And then we have this element in the painting, the archer. And here he is with the bow drawn in this potential, this potential energy, right? This 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 archer represents that that energy, and the archer is is female. And there's in mythology, it's a lot of archers are females. They're women. And again, it's ready to shoot that arrow, that potential energy, and make it kinetic energy, and fire it up. Up the spinal column through the heart and to the crown chakra and where at top we have shin right the um the the hebrew letter shin which is the fire on the uh the top of the crown so the one of the vines here We don't want to say anything because that that we're not we can't be sure of what um, what type of vine that is. We wanted to say it's a grapevine, but we can't be certain of that. So but we just wanted to show you this in in reference to the sacredness and the profound um, esoteric nature of um, of that particular wood. Yeah, and how even in esotericism it's depicted as that in the same way that it's used in in the bows for archery for that that strength that tensile strength that ability to hold 
potential energy under tension. And then fire, release that energy, but release it up and in, not down and out to feed the dragon that is there, you know, awaiting to awaiting it, awaiting to, to feed on the archer, let's say. Well, we could spend hours and hours picking apart every last square inch of this, this uh, mural. This is a multi-panel work. It's here. It's been compiled. It's been brought together. <clears throat> um, so somewhere we have all the three panels separate as well. But again, we won't go. We won't go searching for it now. This process of progress, this revolution of us taking what we are and whittling away little by little the excess, that which obscures the perfected vessel like the wood turning it's the wood turner has no they, they might have a vague notion of what they're going for but they cannot plan for what emerges they have to go with the flow they have to allow what emerges to emerge with all of its unique patterns and right they all have to it, it, it is what it is and as we've often said it is what it is as a proxy for i am that i am heye asher aheye it's the holy name of god Had we allowed ourselves to get trapped in a mindset of wanting things to unfold the way we had planned them to unfold, we would never have arrived at the book that we are publishing today, the book that we recorded over the past 10 days. Not only that, we would have already published back in October a subpar uh, book filled with little foibles and errors and, you know, all kinds of stuff that only revealed themselves to us through the process 
of reading the book out loud. It's very interesting. We're going to shift from planning now to what happens to our psychology and our mind and our perception when we have this plan. There's a reason why writers have to have somebody else edit their work. That reason is that the mind has seen something so many times, it now automatically starts filling in blanks and seeing words that aren't there and, and, um, and assuming that things are there that aren't there or eliminating things that shouldn't be there, just skipping over them. Because the mind has its own sort of self-corrective mechanisms. And they can play tricks on us. Like the eyes can play tricks on us. We can be reading something, and as we're reading it, our mind is not reading what's on the page. We're not seeing what's written there. We're seeing an already, some other version, an already corrected version, or what's already perfect in our mind. We're just getting the hints and nuances from the text on the page. And so the bottom line is we miss our mistakes. So we have to hand it over to somebody else to edit it for us. Because we, we have lots of bad habits and lots of uh, we may, we'll repeat the same mistake over and over again. If we don't know it's a mistake, we'll just be making it all the time. And we'd be checking our text and say, oh, everything's fine. Everything's perfect, right? And then the person, the editor, will edit things according to their understanding and their level of, of com comprehension. And they'll fix the grammar and punctuation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they likewise are also only reading it in their head, if they're even doing that. We get that text back, and then we have to record it for the audiobook. Now, something really interesting happens when you have to read something out loud. The aspects of our psychology Reading something out loud in your head is not the same as reading it out loud. Because when you hear something through your actual auditory center and you're speaking something through your vocal center, you're activating two more centers. Those centers are not active when you're reading to yourself in your head. The voices in your head do not activate your audio center or your vocal center. So you have entire faculties. You're only working with just one faculty, and that faculty can play tricks on you when you're the voices in your head. But when you read it aloud, maybe the voices in your head and your eyes are trying to play tricks on you, and maybe you want to see the same thing the same way, but all of a sudden, you're hearing it now. And your auditory center 
is going to catch things that your mental center and your visual center have missed. Likewise, your vocal center is going to trip up. Whereas the voices in your head won't do that because your eyes and your, your uh, mental center and your visual center have been looking at this text for months and months and months, right? They're going to skip over out of laziness. I'm not going to catch those mistakes. But to the auditory center and the vocal center, all of this is new. And to you, it's new. It's novel. You've never read it aloud before. So the act of doing the audiobook actually makes for a much, much more polished final product. Because you have to read the entire book cover to cover slowly, methodically. You have to articulate it in a way that individuals will be able to hear it and, and understand it and comprehend it without having the benefit of the words on the page in front of them. It takes tremendous focus and concentration. It takes tremendous effort and energy. It is unbelievable how draining it is. That's why we said in, in, um, in several posts, we, we said basically doing four hours of voice work is like doing a four-hour one-man show every day. You can't do more than that. First of all, your voice can't take it. But secondly, just the focus and concentration. It's literally like a four-hour meditation. It is that level of focus and concentration. Plus, you're not just focused on what you are reading and comprehending it, but the intonation and how you are presenting it. It's, 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 it is a very taxing enterprise. But it does not lie. When you are reading something aloud, when you are presenting something, when you are performing something, your performance does not lie. You see everything. You hear everything. You catch everything. It is, it is not easy to read mechanically aloud unless perhaps you're just reading the same thing that you've read a hundred times before already out loud. And this is just the hundredth time. And so now it's just become rote and uh, habitual. And yeah, you can just bang, 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 rhyme it off. Maybe there's people who do voiceover work every day of their life and maybe they do it very mechanically and who knows. But for us, we didn't, we didn't learn our stagecraft mechanically. We learned it as a conscious exercise and we always practice it in that a conscious way. And even our voice work, we do that way. Maybe that's why we never uh, got anywhere uh, doing voice work. Well, it wasn't our destiny anyway, but, but maybe that was it. It was because we put far too much effort and emphasis and intensity into what we were doing. Whereas maybe what was required of us is just more of just a mechanical voice box, right? But 
what we were describing earlier as the honing process, the polishing process, and the ability to see now all of these little jagged edges, all of these little hiccups and all these little problems, and, and then also catch all the mistakes that the editor made. Because editors are not infallible, and editors are not perfect. And the copy that they send back to you is far from perfect and far from a final draft because very often the way they interpret what you're trying to say, they interpret it differently, the grammatically and the, the sentence structure and the intonation. So by reading it aloud and following the punctuation marks, the way the editor thinks where they need to be, separating this clause from that idea, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you try to read it aloud that way, the statement is, is, becomes nonsensical or its meaning changes. And then you have to go back and say, no, okay, that's not what I meant. As an author, you have to now go back and say, okay, no, this goes here and that goes here. And you put the punctuation back where it belongs where it needs to be for the reader to understand the connection between the ideas, between the clauses in the sentence. But if we didn't go over that again and read it aloud, we wouldn't have caught that. If we would have just gone through it mentally and just skimmed it and said, oh, okay, all right, that's a clause, that's this, that's that, yeah, okay, that's the punctuation, because we approve those edits. Because the editor came back to us with markup, right? The way you do it in Microsoft Word, where everything's marked up, and you have to approve all the edits. But we went through, and we we approved those edits. So it was as much our mistake as the editor's mistake. It's only by reading it aloud does now you realize, oh, okay, the person's the meaning has changed. So progress then is this repetitive process of going over the same ground again and again and again and again. And each time you catch new things, you see new things, you discover new things, you learn new things by doing that same or being experiencing that same thing in maybe slightly different ways, perhaps when we're talking about life. But that's why very often many of us will go through the same experiences many, many times over and over again, or what feels like we're having the same experience over and over again. And that the reason is, is because we have not completely whittled away those aspects that we need to. We have more work to do. We have more polishing to do. It is not enough for us to work on ourselves and, oh, I don't know, say overcome some kind of an addict, uh, so overcome some kind of an addiction. And we think that just because we no longer indulge in XYZ activity or XYZ substance, that we're free of our addiction. Look, if we're honest with ourselves, we've only just begun the work. Just ask any alcoholic, ask any alcoholic who's gone through the 12-step program, 
who's gone through AA or any type of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous drinking, drinking cessation program, they will tell you that even if they haven't had a drink for months, for years, for decades, they're still an alcoholic. And they're still an alcoholic precisely because they have yet to address the fundamental underlying problem, the cause of their alcoholism, because they haven't dug deep, deep enough. They haven't whittled away enough of the excess to, re to reveal the perfected vessel, because the perfected vessel isn't an alcoholic. Only the crude hunk of wood that's the root cause of all the crude behavior. Only that is the alcoholic. That's where the alcoholism lies. So you got to put that on, this, they call it a lathe, right? Well, you can put it on the, the, uh, the device and you, you, you start the revolutions of Aum. You start whittling away. First, you do the rough cuts. And so stopping stopping the substance abuse or stopping the addictive behavior, okay, curtailing the addiction on that level, that's like part of your rough cut. That's that's the beginning. That's only the beginning. Unfortunately, far too many people just just end there. And they they fail to they, they figure, well, I'm not drinking anymore, so my work is done. And they stop at the rough cut. As Azil says, they will be exposed to triggers until the triggers no longer serves the purpose to trigger them. But they will, but they will continue facing triggers because the underlying cause of the addiction is still there. It's just that the triggers might not lead to them drinking. It might not lead to them indulging their addiction. But, they, but the triggers will still keep coming so long as the underlying self-loathing, which is pride, Right? Shame is the is the dark side, the flip side of pride. Pride is dark already, but yeah, shame, you, believe it or not, as dark as pride is, dark has a darker side called shame. That's self-loathing. That's what all addiction is. It's a self-sabotaging, self-destructive behavior of addiction is rooted in the fact, right? In that root. is ultimately the self-hatred which says which which makes one not bear the thought of oneself and facing oneself and dealing with oneself and coping with oneself as one is flawed rough around the edges crude and so one self-medicates. And invariably, all addictive behaviors 
are self-destructive and self-sabotaging. They all result in individuals, uh, their relationships, their, their, their home life, their work life, their social life, every aspect of their life suffers because they indulge this demon which says, oh, you hate, which makes us hate ourselves and then sells us the cure in the form of this substance or this behavior. And if all we do is take away the substance or the behavior, we're still left with that underlying self-hatred. And so the triggers are going to keep coming. And it's really only a matter of time when we find ourselves too old, too frail, and too weak to be able to uh, resist and to be able to fight the temptation to give in to our addiction. Azazel says, yeah, it's called a deadly sin for a reason. It's, um, you know, we have a, an elderly father um, and, you know, we have, we had family over for uh, Thanksgiving and they were talking about uh, parents, you know, in-laws and their parents and so on and so forth. And so, and we're, we also have the friends of our father and late mother, et cetera. And we have the experience of having taken care of our uh, late mother when she was going through her cancer a number of years ago. In all this, what has become absolutely crystal clear for us is how as we age and we begin to slow down, we begin to have less energy. And when we say age, we mean when we're really starting to get up there. Uh, our willpower goes out the window. And the egos that we have not worked on, that we have not eliminated, they come back with a vengeance. And all of our, these desires and, and fears, and a lot of fear comes back and starts expressing itself with a vengeance. That's one of the reasons why old people are so afraid. Because when they were younger, they were still able to face their fears and they were able to cope. They were able to cope with their anxiety and their this and their that, right? There was... They had their fear, but they, were, they could bury it. They could repress it. They could avoid it. But now in their old age, they don't have that energy anymore. They don't have the strength to carry all that weight, all that burden, all that excess. And the weight of that excess is crushing. And wow.
we want to make sure that no matter what we're doing, that we're making progress. It's not enough just to be this rough cut, this rough hewn root. And if you think, you know, you're, you're going to handle this or that or the other ego uh, later when you have more time. Oh, I'll worry about, I'll worry about my egos when I'm retired. I'll have plenty of time to, to deal with them then. You're, you're not going to have the energy. You're not going to have the strength. It's going to be too late. Because this is the way. This, this is the process. And if you rob yourself now the opportunity to have those revolutions. That's why it's called a revolution. That's why Samael Amayor called his book Revolutionary Psychology. And the connection between to revolve and to revolt, the connection between both those revolutions has to be crystal clear in our consciousness. Progress makes perfect. There is no perfection of self. There is no emergence of the perfected vessel without the revolutions of the alm of life. So, and you can't plan for these revolutions. You can't say, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to do this. I'm going to focus on my career and I'm going to focus on my family and do this and do that. And once my kids are grown up and off into college and I'm in early retirement, I mean, then I'll work on myself. That's, you're going to, you're going to uh, discover too late that you've run out of time. Because in truth, none of us, none of us know how much time we have left. None of us know how many revolutions there are left for us to do the work that we need to do on ourselves. And this hyper-planning, this idea that we can figure out everything ahead of time and we can structure everything and schedule everything and, 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 and that we're in charge and that we're in control of that process. If you meditate on, and it's not just this video, there are literally hundreds of wood turning videos on YouTube. Go and look at, and some of them are, have no talking and some of them are filled with talking. If they're filled with talking and you don't want to hear them, just turn the volume down. The point is that when you meditate on, really pay attention to what's taking place and you focus 
and comprehend the connection between whittle and little. And what Lao Tzu said about this journey of a thousand, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. It's the little things. It's the little steps, the baby steps we say, right? But it's progress. It's progress. This is how we arrive at perfection. There are no one-take wonders in spirituality. Okay? There, there, spirituality is not a one in a hundred million photograph that, the, that an amateur photographer takes that ends up on the cover of Time magazine and ends up photo of the year right that this does not happen on the spiritual path it is a slow methodical process of slow methodical progress As the alm of life turns for us, we are the crude root that is being whittled away. So don't be surprised if all of a sudden this thing that you've been doing all of your life, you, you, you just no longer have any desire to do it. There is a reason why the Buddhists talk about attachments and letting go of our attachments. What you see this artist and artisan doing right now is letting go of attachments. What is attached currently to that perfected vessel which is superfluous to the expression and realization of that vessel's perfection. It's all of the crude material that that vessel is attached to in a very real way, but that it is bound inside of. It's locked. It's trapped inside there. It has to be freed. It has to be liberated. This is what Michelangelo said when they asked him about David, because David's 18 feet tall. And they say, how did you, how did you do it? How did you carve something so beautiful? And, and Michelangelo's answer was, David was already in there, right? The angel was already in there. I just chipped away the excess. That's what Michelangelo's job was to chip away the excess and allow the perfected David to emerge out of the marble. Inside of all of us is a perfected version of us. As Azil says, and shame being an aspect of pride 
is a bloody nightmare to witness when someone is possessed by shame. It is indeed. It is indeed. And when they're not only that, but when they they when they are when they do express it with um uh with with one or more addictions. And then they they're in that self-destructive mode. We're not going to go for uh, three or four hours today. Um, we think we've expressed what we needed to and shared what we wanted to about what showed up for us. And, um, and also... But you know that that things are progressing, and frankly, um, it shouldn't be too long now, and we'll be able to make an announcement about um, about the uh, um, release of the book. So um, we want to thank you for your patronage but also your patience and understanding uh, that this is a process, right? The publication of this book was a process. And right up until very recently, right up until Friday, we were making changes and edits to the manuscript. Again, because we were recording, right? We were, we were recording Friday morning. <clears throat> is the finished product is it is it is it perfect no no we don't we don't suggest that in any way but it is closer to achieving the level of perfection that it had the potential to reach It is as close to the level of perfection it has in accordance with its potential than it ever has been. So it's as good as it's going to get. There's no reason for us to, uh, you know, keep navel-gazing and, you know, out of fear, out of apprehension, out of a... Remember a few weeks ago, not a few weeks ago, a number maybe, I don't even know how long ago now, we... We um, did a live stream about perfection and the search for perfection and how the devil's in the details and how we can get caught on a treadmill of an A-type personality type of uh, obsession with perfection, which can, which can lead to stagnation and which can lead to us becoming stuck and obsessed uh, mired in our own pride, self-righteousness, and out of some mis misguided 
uh, self-righteous notions of God only knows what. Uh, and just, again, being stuck and obsessing over something instead of just saying, okay, that's it. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, this is what it is. We've done everything we can, and now it's time to birth it into the world and let it do, let it do its thing. Either it will or it won't. But at some point, you have to realize that You know, the surface is smooth enough, it's sparkling enough, it's polished enough, it's shiny enough. It is what it is. And that it is possible, remember, when we're looking at this wood-turning allegory, you can realize how easy it is to whittle away too much to sand something or hollow it out and make the wall of the vessel too thin. It's a skill, it's a craft, what we were watching there. Clearly, everybody can see that. And probably every woodturner worth their salt has probably ruined more things than they've created. They learn the hard way, when to let go, when to say, okay, that's it, hands off. No more, no more turning, no more polishing, no more sanding. Okay, now it's time to, you know, put on the varnish, put on the finish. Enough is enough. It's that's it. That's it's not, it's not changing, it's not getting any better than that. And recognizing that. But we have to be careful with that because from our point of view, it's very easy that the ego will love to use that as a rationalization and justification to say, oh, your work is done. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as we're going to get. We've reached the limit of our potential in this lifetime. That's the way nirvanis think, right? Pratyeka Buddhas. Who come down from nirvana they work a little bit on themselves and they go back then they get to go back to nirvana right they, they they're able to have that kind of outlook and it's oh yeah i came down yeah i worked, worked a little bit on myself da, 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 and then they go back to nirvana because they're attached to nirvana but if you're here on the path of the razor's edge if you're here on the the, the direct path Rest assured, it, the transformation is what we're looking for is the perfected vessel. So we're bringing this back now to individual projects and individual uh, workings that we have to do in our life, not to get stuck in the search for perfection in things that are just stepping stones. We're not at that perfection stage yet, so relax about the perfection. Focus on the progress because progress makes perfect. And so that wood turning artist, that artisan, that craftsperson, he's made many countless hundreds, if not thousands of works.
And he has to know when, okay, this is it. This is as good as this one's going to get. And then finish it, polish it, finish it, display it, on to the next one. Now I'm looking for the next great piece of wood to work on. We can have that approach to ourselves as we approach and face our many, many egos. Pride, shame, lust, fear, anger, greed, envy, gluttony, etc. So don't get stuck on any one thing, but also don't think that, oh, well, this is as good as it gets. So it's all about balance. But the one thing that the alm of life will guarantee us is that the world keeps turning. And the alm of life keeps revolving. And so as each revolution occurs, we have an opportunity for an internal revolution. And that internal revolution entails a revolution, a revelation in consciousness. When we see and we comprehend that which obscures a little part of the perfect vessel that we are here to create, that we are here to embody, that we are here to, to be. Because when we are a perfected vessel, that perfect vessel can then receive the perfection of God, what we call the Christ. Does anyone have any questions or comments? <clears throat> if you're wondering, we uh, see that here. Here's here's another example of uh, planning and preparation, right? We we were prepared, right? <laughs> We were, we were prepared. We had our whiteboard ready. We had our, uh, our tablet and our pen all ready to go. We just didn't end up using it. That's all. Kage Musha says, excellent show today. Thank you. You're welcome, Kage. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, it's a wonderful... Um, it's a wonderful... Um, you have a samurai archer as your... Uh, as your little icon there. So you know all about the Yeub and the bow. <laughs> uh, as Azul says, not really. It's nice to have you back again. Well, it's nice to be back. Uh, Benjamin says, yeah, uh, progress seems good. <laughs> progress, is, progress is good. But remember, progress may seem good, but let's not kid ourselves. Where did it go? Did it go away? Did we close it? Ah, we closed it. Th that wood turning, right? That doesn't necessarily feel good. Right? It doesn't feel good. Remember, because what's being whittled away 
That's a harsh process. That's a difficult process. Having what's excess being whittled away. It's a painful process, letting go of attachments. We have this, we have this perfected vessel. Uh, we have the potential This is oh, it's a, it's crooked. <laughs> okay, so we have this. Um, this is the potential, right? But it's in this. You know, it's trapped. And the 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 whittling of uh, away of this, the cutting away of this, right? We get the rough cut. And then we put it on the lathe and we and we spin it around and around and around and around. You know, to 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 get away all of this, to get to that perfected vessel, all of this has to go. All of these attachments have to be whittled away little by little by little. And that that is uh painful. And that is, uh, uh, you know, we we suffer a lot in that process. The more attached we are, the more suffering we're going to go through. So yes, progress seems good. And Benjamin says, yes, uh, most definitely. It is great stream. Yeah, nice to have you back. Uh, Kagamusha said, uh, program here. Uh, program, program. And uh, excellent pronunciation. <laughs> and he gives us a smile. Uh, Azazel says, the tool looked like it would have impaled my throat if we tried. <laughs> Well, look, uh, <laughs> we felt quite, we felt, uh, we felt like our throat was impaled most of the week. So, uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, you'll get no sympathies from us. All right, then everyone, uh, we want to thank you for, uh, joining us again. We hope that, uh, you will join us again next week. We have no idea what the topic will be. Uh, but we hope, perhaps, we hope perhaps the topic will be uh, that the book is published. But we'll we'll let you know, and um, and then from here on in, like for example, today, uh, don't be surprised if you see uh, like this video and this 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 topic and expressed this way again in an upcoming book of ours. It's sort of you being here every week and uh, if we publish blog articles again and 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 you know we we won't we don't really know how the next um works are going to unfold or not we don't know how our future is going to unfold we are hoping we're praying that uh that this work of ours because it does represent our life's work an entire lifetime of experience we do hope and pray that it's going to uh, accomplish something in the world and it's going to reach people it needs to reach. 
and that that's going to open new doors and new avenues to new activities and um, uh, new sources of income and and also new opportunities to meet resourceful individuals and make connections that, that are going to allow us to uh, embark on the other aspects of the Atlas project. So, but when and if and how that unfolds, it's a wide open field of possibility and opportunity. And we don't know how that's all going to go. But what we do know is that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, uh, we are going to have the tools and the ability to take some time uh, at the very least every other week, but preferably every week for a few hours to spend one-on-one -on -one with you. And just gives us an opportunity and, of course, you an opportunity for us to share some time together and allow what is within us to achieve another level, another round of expression. And um, because as it, it is crystallized in that way, as it expresses in that way, then, um, you know, that's, that allows us, again, as we said earlier, when you hear things out loud for the first time, it has a different impact. It has a different power than it than it than it does just you know just in your head or, or writing it down. It's like because these aren't thoughts, right? These aren't they're expressed as such, but we don't receive them that way. So for us, this is our process, right? Because perhaps next time we'll show you a different video that shows another kind of uh, process, another aspect of progress that makes perfection. But the point is still the same. Progress makes perfect. And the turning and the revolutions doesn't change. But there's another metaphor that we can turn to, another allegory that we can turn to. And we use that word, pun intended, right? There's another allegory we can turn to. Because the alm of life is universal and it expresses, it's how everything comes into being. It doesn't matter if you're doing wood turning or writing a book or making a movie or building a house or painting a painting. It doesn't matter. It's, it's the, it is the same fundamental, universal aum of life. And, and, of course, we introduce all of this in our present book. But really, um, we are now going to be turning our attention to... Um, clarifying this and crystallizing this for the world with example after example after example after example after example 
self-evident experiential knowledge. This is not going to be a book of philosophy. This is not going to be a book of theory. This is not even going to be a book anymore about our life and life experiences. This is going to be a, a testimony a, of of the process of progress of the unfoldment of God itself. This is going to be a monumental undertaking in its amalgamation and totality. But if you guys keep showing up, it's little by little, right? Little by little. One baby step at a time. One step on that spiral staircase at a time. One brick at a time. Uh, what was it? Hadrian. They asked Hadrian, how was Rome built? And he said, brick by brick. By brick. Right? That's that. It's a great quote from uh, a Seabiscuit. The movie Seabiscuit. When um, uh, Red, Red, uh, Red Poller, Red Poller um, um, says uh, that quote from Hadrian. Because Hadrian Wall, right? Hadrian's Wall is in uh, England. So it might be a monumental undertaking, but it's actually, it's, it's simple. Just like if anybody, you know, would look at that chunk of wood and think to themselves, how am I going to get that chunk of wood into that perfected vessel? And the answer is you don't. You don't. You can't. It's impossible. But we can all go online and look and see the video that it is possible. But it's the process of progress that makes it possible. It's the only way to achieve perfection. It's the only way to get to that realization of that perfected vessel that we have the potential within us to be. Little by little, we whittle and we whittle away the excess on the revolutions of the alm of life. And again, next week we can share you and share with you another video that takes a different approach, and we can talk about other and different approaches. And maybe we'll be, be maybe we will be doing that as we move forward, because, as we said, um, as we shared with you, as you can see, this is another book. Whether it's the next book or the or the one after the next book it doesn't matter this is on the short list of works that we have to share with the world it's just that this fear thing uh you know 
this is an acute need. This is like the world is like suffering from a bleeding gunshot wound. They need this. The world needs this. Right? We gotta we gotta stop the bleeding, you know? And um and let's face it, our first book has that a catchy enough title and uh irreverent enough title that uh we can get away with making our second book a nice catchy uh kind of uh irreverent kind of a thing that um but anyway this is this is quote part of that planning right we don't really know how it'll unfold it'll unfold how it will have to unfold that's really the point of today right is that we we have to we have to balance these two things like benjamin was saying earlier right so there's a certain amount of planning we have to do but we have to be prepared to throw out throw that plan out the window <clears throat> when when reality when the flow <clears throat> of what needs to be shows up and we will see how that goes <clears throat> so thank you all for uh being with us today thank you all for being part of the flow and going with the flow <clears throat> see you here you hear our voice starting to go have a great week hope to see you next week we hope you will have some updates for you uh, and we will again post things on Facebook. We'll post things on our, our the news section of our website, which we're going to be trying to keep more active. We're not sure if we're going to be very active on Twitter or not. And Instagram is always this funny thing with us and Instagram. But in any case, stay in touch, be in touch. Um, we'll see you next week, and then we'll know better how things are unfolding in that space of potentiality in our life, in our path, and which you are in some way, shape, or form, you're all a part of. You're all a part of. And we feel honored and grateful that uh, you have chosen to be thus. It makes It uh, means a great deal to us. So thank you again. And... Um, we hope to see you next week. And until then, as always, inverential peace. Take care. <clears throat>